Welcome to Air Crash Investigation, the podcast, the show where we dissect all things air crashes. I am your host, Jonaga Kimberly, and in this episode, we'll be going over the famous Gimli Glider, aka Air Canada Flight 143. So without wasting any more of your time, let us get into it. It's 8.52 here in New York. I'm Brian Bumble. We understand that there has been a plane crash on the uh, southern tip of Manhattan. U.S. Airways plane loses power and then makes an emergency landing on the Hudson River. The mystery of Malaysian Airlines Flight 37. One of the largest and safest passenger jets ever made simply disappears off the They're flying through what they sell, flight level 100, which is 10,000 feet. I think that was a point where we went from we have some time to figure this thing out to, like, we might not be able to save us ourselves. Air Canada Flight 143 was a scheduled flight for the 23rd of July, 1983. Flight 143 was from Montreal Doval International Airport, Montreal, Canada, and its destination was Edmonton International Airport, Edmonton, Canada with a stopover in Ottawa, specifically Ottawa McDonald's Cartier International Airport. The aeroplane used was a Boeing 767-233. This jet, to be specific, was a new generation of jets as this was more technologically advanced. More tasks were now computerized, which meant that the plane could be flown by two pilots and not three. The only two pilots that would be needed would be a captain and first officer. This information is important for later on in the episode. The crew. The captain of flight 143 was Robert Pearson and the first officer was Maurice Quintal. I could not find their flight hours, but I do think that they were qualified enough to fly the plane. The passengers. In total, there were 61 passengers. The maintenance before the flight. The day before the flight, the aeroplane went under routine checks in Edmonton, Canada. Their technician who was in charge of doing maintenance, Conrad Yaremko, noticed that the FQIS system was not working. Therefore, he disabled the second processor's circuit breaker, which then meant that the first processor would be set as the default. Now, before we continue, what is an FQIS system? Well. This abbreviation stands for Fuel Quantity Indicator System. This is a digital system that calculates the amount of fuel in the aeroplane's tanks. It is run by processors and when they malfunction, they display incorrect fuel quantities or no quantity at all. So when technician Conrad saw that processor 2 was malfunctioning, he pulled the circuit breaker and locked the malfunction in the logbook as quote-unquote inoperative. Then, to make the pilots aware, he left a note for them which said, and I quote, see log book. The day of the flight. Since the second process of the FQIS was not working, the pilots and ground crew had to manually measure the amount of fuel in the tanks. To do this, they had to do a dripstick check. A dripstick is an instrument used to measure the amount of fuel in a plane. This is only done when all other options have been exhausted. So, before refueling took place, Captain Pearson was talking to John Weir, the captain who flew the same plane that Pearson is supposed to fly now. 
As a result, Captain Pearson requested a fuel tank. So, Flight 143 took off from Montreal Doval International and landed at Ottawa McDonald Cartier International Airport. The plane looked like it had enough fuel. Therefore, the crew decided not to refuel in Ottawa. Then Flight 143 took off from Ottawa McDonald Cartier International Airport and was headed for its final destination, Edmonton International Airport. A few minutes after 8 p.m. Central Time Zone, Flight 143 was cruising over Red Lake, Ontario at 41,000 feet or 12,500 meters. Then Flight 143's fuel pressure warning sounded. This warning showed that there was a problem on the left side of the plane. The pilots thought that the warning system sounded due to the change in gravity, therefore they decided to switch the warning off. Then unexpectedly, the fuel pressure for the right engine sounded. Due to this, both pilots decided to divert the Boeing to Winnipeg. After the crew decided to divert to Winnipeg, the left engine failed. As a result, they decided to try and restart the engine. As they tried to restart the engine, the crew heard a loud bong sound. Then the right engine flamed out and the entire 767 jet lost power. Since all engine failure was unheard of in 1983, flying schools and facilities did not teach this procedure. At this point, Flight 143 was en route to Winnipeg. Since they had no power, Flight 143 had no choice but to glide. Luckily, Captain Pearson was experienced in the aspect of gliding a plane, but never on a commercial jet. The pilot then realized that they wouldn't make it to Winnipeg. So, First Officer Quintal suggested that they land on a closed Air Force base. Quintal was familiar with the base as he used it when he was a pilot in the Royal Canadian Air Force. So they decided to turn their plane towards the Air Force base and drop the landing gear through gravity. The main gear locked into position, but the nose wheel slash gear did not. Now, while they were trying to drop and lock the nose gear, the two pilots realized that the strip that they wanted to land on was actually turned into a drag strip and RV slash trailer park. But it was already too late for the crew to turn the plane around. They had another problem. The aeroplane was too high and too fast. They could not even extend their flaps and slats because there was no power on the plane. They also could not do a go-around because they were going to lose altitude fast. Captain Pearson then decided to do a forward slip. This is when a pilot turns the plane's rudder in one direction and the plane's ailerons in the opposite direction. This had never been done on a commercial jet but it had to be done in order to slow the plane down. When the plane touched down, the nose had been scraping the floor and this helped slow the plane down. The railway that was on the strip also helped slow the plane down. In the end, all 61 passengers survived and only had minor injuries. No one on the ground was hurt. Their investigation. Since the quote-unquote crash happened in Canada, it was investigated by Canada's Transportation Safety Board, or TSB. They released a detailed report regarding this incident. It started off with the, and I quote, the factual circumstances of the accident, end quote. 
and it goes as follows. Before the flight crew arrived on board, Mr. Owlet entered the cockpit. He was a certified avionics technician who had been assigned to the aircraft in order to perform the drip check required to satisfy the requirements of the minimum equipment list or MEL item 28-41-2. He noted the entry made in the logbook by Mr. Yaremko. He also noticed the circuit breaker which had been pulled and tagged. He was confused by the entry in the logbook which did not appear to coincide with what he had been taught about the processor in recent training. Because of this confusion, he tried to get to the bottom of the problem by doing what is known as built-in test equipment. It refers to the fact that the processor had been designed and built so as to be able to identify faults within his own system. Before doing the test, he reset the number 2 channel circuit breaker. This caused the full gauges in the cockpit to go blank. Mr. Owlet was not satisfied with the test and decided that the processor had to be replaced. When he tried to order a new one, he was told that none were available in Montreal, but that one had been ordered to be available that night in Edmonton. On returning to the flight deck, Mr. Owlet was distracted by the arrival of the fueler and forgot to pull the number 2 circuit breaker so as to deactivate it as Mr. Yaremko had done. Thus, when Captain Pearson arrived on board and saw the blank fuel gauges in the cockpit, this circumstance reinforced his misunderstanding of the conversation with Captain Weir." End quote. Now I am about to read the neglect that Captain Pearson committed. Captain Pearson knew that the aircraft was not legal to go with blank fuel gauges. He testified that he had raised the question of legality with one of the attending technicians who assured him that the aircraft was legal to go and that a higher authority, Maintenance Central, had authorized the operation. No such authorization had in fact been given. End quote. So this shows that Captain Pearson may have been lying about the, and I quote, clearance that he was given by maintenance control. And this actually raised 61 people's lives. But let us continue. What I am about to read to you is incredibly important. Before dealing with the drip procedure, it should be noted that for some years now, all aircraft in Canada had been fueled in liters. That is to say that fuelers delivered fuel in liters and charged for the fuel by the liter. On the other hand, those who calculate the load of the aircraft and those who fly the aircraft do not work in liters, which is a measurement of volume, but rather in a weight measurement. Prior to the introduction of the Boeing 767 type of aircraft into the Air Canada fleet, 12 had been ordered and 4 delivered at the time in question. Weight calculations were made in pounds, an imperial measurement. When the new aircraft were ordered, a decision was taken in line with Canadian government policy to order them with their fuel gauges reading in kilograms, a metric measurement. Similarly, calculations of the takeoff weight of the new type of aircraft were to be made in kilograms. Critical to the determination of the correct fuel quantity by the dripstick method is the conversion from centimeters to liters and from liters to kilograms. The first part is easy because drip tables are provided and kept on board the aircraft. The drip tables as they existed at the time of the Gimli accident provided a simple means of converting centimeters to liters. On the other hand, 
converting liters to kilograms involves using a conversion factor. End quote. So the next part is incredibly confusing, so I will not read that part. But basically, the fuelers that are on the ground use a metric system to refuel the plane. But the pilots themselves were trained to use the imperial system, and Air Canada was transitioning from using the imperial system to the metric system. However, Air Canada as a whole did not give further training to their pilots on how to use the metric system when piloting or when flying rather a plane that has metric measurements rather. So the situation was made worse as new aeroplanes, as I said before, were using the metric system. So overall, there was a lot of confusion that ultimately led to the crash of Air Canada Flight 143. The recommendations. The TSB set out recommendations for Air Canada and other airlines. Standardization of Air Canada's fleet. This is the most important recommendation that Air Canada was given by the TSB. And basically this means that Air Canada should choose to either use the imperial system or the metric system. They cannot decide to use both when transitioning and all of that. They just really have to choose to either use the metric or the imperial system. Now, the TSB also recommended that the entire flight crew should go for re-evaluation of their training. And this is important as the crew of flight 143 had no knowledge about the new plane and specifically the fuel system. And as much as the crew needed training, so did the maintenance personnel and the flight attendants. Now, the flight attendance part is, is not the flight attendants that were on board flight 143. They are just talking about the entire system as a whole. Now, the biggest section of the recommendations was the fueling process. And it consists of training on how to use dripsticks, making computerized versions of the traditional dripstick, and making dripsticks that use kilograms instead of pounds. Now, the standardization of manuals on board was also a massive, massive recommendation as not all manuals were the same. I mean, some had enough info while others such as the one that was on flight 143 did not have enough info. I mean, in 1983, as gliding was never, ever, ever heard of on a commercial plane and even all engine failure was not heard of back in the day there were no like rules or like what to do in case of that kind of emergency in their manuals luckily now there are those manuals that do have recommendations on what to do in case of a dual engine failure or all engine failure in general now other recommendations were that a vertical speed indicator should be deemed a necessary component therefore it should be connected to the emergency power supply the need for emergency lights that would run for 15 minutes and would function even in a case of a crash was incredibly, incredibly stressed in this document. And finally, the introduction of a transponder that would be powered by the aircraft's emergency power supply. And finally, that the FDR, the flight data recorder, and the cockpit voice recorder should be powered by the emergency power supply at all times in case of emergency as they are deemed to be necessary components in an airplane. 
Now the aftermath. So after the investigation, Captain Pearson was demoted for six months and First Officer Quintal was suspended for two weeks. Now you are wondering why was Captain Pearson demoted for six months but First Officer Quintal was suspended for two weeks. Well, Captain Pearson, as I had mentioned before, he said that um, the maintenance central, maintenance control gave him permission to fly the plane with having uh, blank fuel gauges and nobody knows if that conversation actually happened so basically this inquiry decided that he endangered people's lives and therefore he deserved to be demoted for six months now the reason why first officer quintal was not demoted or sus rather suspended is because he let this happen like he also flew that plane knowing that they had blank fuel cages but he was not demoted, he was not fired because in the TSB's eyes, he was not seen as guilty like Captain Pearson. Now, three maintenance workers were also suspended and I do believe that Mr. Yaremko was also suspended and Mr. Aulet. But in 1985, the crew of Flight 143 were awarded the Federation Aeronautique Internationale Diploma for Outstanding Airmanship. Then in 1989, First Officer Quintal was promoted to captain. Now, Captain Pearson then flew for Air Canada for 10 years before flying for Asiana Airlines. Then he retired in 1995. First Officer Quintal, now Captain Quintal, unfortunately passed away in 2015 at the age of 68 in St. Donat, Quebec. Now that is the end of this massive, massive episode i really do hope that you enjoyed it um do not forget to give us a follow wherever you're listening on whatever platform you're listening on go check out our youtube channel it is a crash investigation the podcast and yes i'll catch you in my next episode cheers